Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Faster Masters Rowing Radio. I'm Rebecca Caro, and I'm joined by Marlene Royal. Hello, everybody. I'm here. <laughs> Glad you are here, too. Absolutely. So Faster Masters Rowing Radio is the podcast where having a rowing coach only makes you better. Following a program gives you a true pathway to becoming a confident sculler who's respected by your peers. You can become the athlete you want to row with. And Marlene and I are going to be your guides along the way. Now, this week, we have a couple of sponsors as ever. We're really pleased to hear that Kanguar UK has a single skull available for sale. It's an all-carbon spirit design for athletes weighing between 60 and 65 kilos. The boat is white. It's got a stern-mounted aluminium wing rigger, and it's priced at £6,162, including VAT. You can trial a spirit single near your home club by contacting Eric Sims. His email is UKSales at Kangua, K-A-N-G-H-U-A uk, And our second sponsor is the Masters Rowing Faster Five. Faster Masters Rowing has published the Faster Five. This is a five article series comprising the core rowing philosophy and principles behind Faster Masters Rowing. Marlene and I have spent a long time writing these and they are really detailed. These are the five episodes that you can get. Blade work, technique, stroke power, racing, and a fitness assessment. And as you've probably worked out, they all build one on top of the other. First, you need to handle the blades. Then you need to have good technique with your body and the blades. Then you can develop stroke power, which of course will help you into racing. And your fitness assessment will then help you manage your training environment so that all of these come together into a united whole. After you've got the Faster Five, you'll know and understand what you need to address to improve your personal rowing and sculling. And by using the Faster Five, you'll become confident in your own rowing practice. You can buy it today. It's on our website for $147. Or you can get it free with any subscription training program. And these start at $15 a month. Become the rower you want to row with at fastermastersrowing.com forward slash join now how's your week been marlene pretty good pretty good we've had some we had some nice weather on the water and then we got some storms on the water but i guess that's par for the course as head of the charles weekend uh arrives you know we always have some some funky weather in new england you know it might be good it might be warm but uh but overall good we're still getting good water time and People are getting ready for their virtual head of the Charles or already rowing them, some of them. So we've got some uh, live viewers. Uh, we have a windy hello from CC, and she says it's very windy in Whidbey. And Andres says hi from Philly. Hello. And to all our other live viewers, please remember, if you'd like to comment or ask a question during the live broadcast, just write it below the live stream in the text chat comments, and hopefully we can bring you up uh, on screen. I'm not quite sure what this means. What does bossy from Philly mean? 
<laughs> He's rowing with an attitude today, I think. <laughs> so let's kick off by talking about the virtual and real races that are actually happening this autumn. So this week is the submissions window for the virtual head of the Charles. And I think I've mentioned this before, but I'm in a women's D8. And we've seen there's at least one other crew entered who are from Ireland. So uh, we're looking forward to seeing how our scores compare. Now, Marlene, you've got crews who are doing it, aren't you? Well, I have you? a lot of I have a lot of single scholars who are doing it. Yes, I have single scholars in Vermont, in Florida, in South Carolina, uh, out in San Francisco. Yeah, quite a few, quite a few singles. And, um, and, you know, people, some people have done theirs already. And out in Long Island, um, one woman, she's an open water rower and uh, waiting for her racing boat. And she did her trial out on in Long Island. And, um, you know, people have found it really helpful for them. You know, their reaction now that a few people have already like completed their trials and had a good row and said, you know what, I felt like totally prepared for my training program to do this and have a have a come away with it with a good row. Um, other people are calculating, like if they're doing it on the water, what's the day with the best weather where they live so they can, they can you know, that's why there's this window. So there are, there, you know, there are people kind of calculating, okay, what's going to be the best day to do it. Um, but people are the ones who have committed to doing it, you know, they're, they're revved up, they're, they're excited, you know, it's kind of, it's like, an event, you know, it is something, you know, you, I, you know, your adrenaline knows you have to do it. Right. So, so yeah. I think it's, I think it's been a really good thing for those people who have elected to do it, um, you know, rather than just, just kind of say, oh, well, it doesn't really matter anyway, but you know, it just adds a little spice to your life. I think. It does. I got a message from Carol, who is in Cambridge, UK, where their river isn't very long. And she said she had got out a map and measured the river and see if she could squeeze in 4,700 metres between one lock and the other lock. And she then sent me a message saying, uh, I did it. I did it. She said at 5 p.m. because she wanted to do it with the stream, which meant she had to start at the top of the river. And their river is crowded with university students. And of course, right now they're all beginners. They're all learning to row in, in tub pairs, which is like a clinker rowboat. Yeah. Um, and obviously steering, not a priority for those sorts of crews. And she said, I managed to sneak in. I didn't hit anything. There were no crashes. So I think she's quite pleased. That's unbelievable because the cam is pretty narrow. It's not like you have a whole lot of room to negotiate at all. Yeah. And my crew are having discussions about what row suits we're going to wear. So we're not going to wear our swans row suit. We're going to wear the classic crew row suit. And then we've got to find a white T-shirt. And then someone else is saying, but I like being, it, you know, it's going to be cold. And someone else says, but I like not wearing, I like bare arms. But we're all going to have a breakfast afterwards. So we're going to kind of make a bit of a thing of it. Like right, it's a, right. you know, a day off work. Absolutely. After a good day at the office, you can go have a snack. <laughs> ah, some of our live watchers. Andres has done it live on a windy lake on Sunday, but was surprised at a time for the conditions. Imagine without how fast you'd be without wind. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. They, the East Coast has just had a ton of wind here in, in North America, so that's par for the course. But, hey, good for you for getting out there and 
just do it. You know, it's, it's, it's fun. You know, it's really fun. As I said, just to get out of this, like, Oh, there are no races type of a thing. It, it's, yeah. uh, you know, rise yeah. to the occasion. <laughs> Peter from Cambridge, New Zealand, went and did it in a coastal single when he was away at the weekend. Uh, he was in the Marlborough Sounds, and he just said, "Yeah, I'm just going to record it. Um, yeah. Just do it. Cece's not doing hers yet. She says she has got gale warnings through tomorrow, and there have been high winds the fourth day in a row, and she's waiting for no white caps, no wind advisory, no small craft warning, dot, dot, dot. Well, Fingers crossed you can fit in the window because it's Tuesday now. You have to do it by Friday. Friday, so. Friday for the participant. I think you could do it live on Saturday, but you had to register ahead of time. But maybe Cece's got to hop in a coastal single for this one. <laughs> That's an idea. But there are other races. So, Marlene, you've done a quick trawl. What's coming up? If you've, if you've been enthused by what we're talking about now and think that a bit of a focus might be helpful for you, here are some suggestions. Well, there is a live race coming up on this weekend, uh, the Secret City Head Race in Tennessee. So um, there are a bunch of people who are pretty excited to go to an actual race. And so that's going on. And then today I just caught wind of the Head of the Hog, which is November 21st. And that's also going to be a live race in Sarasota. So um, that's something for, to look forward to for people who are in Florida or, you know, in a reasonable driving distance um, to go actually say that there's, there's a real race you can do um, on the water. And of course, we've got the virtual races going on, like the head of the Schuylkill will be next week virtual. Um, the, and I believe you can do that one on the water or on the ERG. So I think the Schuylkill, you can row on the water. Uh, there's virtual head of the hooch coming up. Uh, that I believe is only on the erg. There's the head of the fish. Um, the US, usrowing.org website has their whole virtual challenge up on the website that's being sponsored by Concept2. And there's a bunch of different events. So some are erg, some are erg and water. Some are just unrelated to actual ra racing, but other challenges. Um, and then there's the Premier League, right? Are you taking part in that? I am. So I'm part of the Rowers' Choice League where they've divided the country up into zones. And I'm in a, a zone that's called the Southwest Armada. Um, and it's a mixture of juniors, seniors and masters. And each week we have to do a different distance. And, and the squad is kind of big enough that uh, I've just done my first one. So we're in week four now. And I just logged, it's on the ERG, so I logged uh, 250 meters, all of it. Uh, so it wasn't a very long one. Very long race, right? Yeah, but it's, oh, well, well, we'll see how we go. Now, that was all, my understanding right now is that was all short ERG distances, and that, at the moment. The longest one I've seen is 1K. Um, okay. So, yeah. Um, and you have to video your screen and upload a video as proof that you've done it. Oh, nice. So everybody gets to see you rowing it. That's <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, I, I got an angle so that all okay. you can see is my left elbow. Okay. Okay. And then, and then how long does that league go on? Oh, I don't know. It's at least eight weeks. Might be 10. Oh, okay. So it's quite long then. Yeah. Yeah. Go oh, ahead. well, it's all fun try something different i think that's the motto for this year i need a t-shirt i tried something different yes 
Yes, I think so. But but the people who are doing them are having fun. And, you know, I really encourage people, even stay for the head of the Charles, even if you're not going to send in your time, go row 4,702 meters and do your, your personal head of the Charles and just, you know, keep in the spirit of it. And, you know, I think, I think everybody misses the event and being there. But if everybody rows their piece, you know, it's going to have a collective impact. Absolutely. And uh, Cece's telling us that she's doing the live event oh, for the Head okay. of the Charles. And she's done several virtual events already. Head of the Buffalo this weekend. Oh, we didn't mention that one. Head of the Schuylkill. Water and live. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Head of Good. the Head of the So Good. let me get this right. If you don't live in where, where's the Schuylkill River? Oh, in uh, Philadelphia. Okay. So if you don't live in Philadelphia which she doesn't, and I'm guessing she's not traveling to race. How does the live thing work? Do you just I think do it? You, you row it. I think you, you're you you're rowing it like live on your GPS. I think you're rowing it. It's, it's, it's virtual, but you're doing it at the same time versus just sending in a time, for I've example. Yeah. So, right. so it's. Um, yeah. Well, that's fair enough. Yeah. Cool. That's cool. But yeah, it's in with the same sort of time window. Exactly. Yes. Now, we had a question come through from a listener about dropping their wrists. It was recently pointed out I was dropping my wrists while feathering. And this morning I noticed there seemed to be some friction and resistance with my skulls in my orlocks making it just a little hard to feather with just my fingers. The collars are worn and a bit rough, and I plan to reverse them to get a smooth surface for feathering. Any other suggestions to make it easier to feather with just your fingers? Good question. So that shows how many things come together to resolve one apparent issue. So let's let's do them one at a time. Worn collars, Marlene. What can you do I would say replace your collars and your orlocks every year, either at the end of the season before you put your boat away, if you put your boat away, or at the beginning of your season. And you know that because the shelf on the or on the orlocks does wear down, your collars do wear down, and um, you know those angles can start to affect your pitch and how how the blade sets or the sleeve sets in the orlock. So, you know, it's, it's a very inexpensive way to keep um, your stroke feeling good. So definitely yeah. do it once. I, I do mine once a year for sure. So to check whether or not yours are worn, take your oar and run your finger around the collar or the button and feel for any irregularities. It'll be smooth, but you might feel that it just moves in and out just a little bit. And then do the same around the sleeve. So that's the bit that is wrapped around the shaft. And actually, you can often see the wear patterns because there are little grooves in most sleeves. And you can see the grooves have worn down, a bit like a, um, a car tire. So definitely check those. If you need to replace the sleeves, they have to go back to the manufacturer because they're usually epoxied on, except for Drea for a while had a sleeve that just screwed in. Yeah. But I think um, I did ask at uh, Concept 2, I did ask about that at one point not long ago. And they, they said that the material that their sleeves are made of are meant to last like for several years. Mm-hmm. Whereas you may find that you're going to find that your orlocks, your orlocks 
and collars probably wear faster. The Orlocks probably wear the fastest, but but sleeves are probably and, and I would imagine you know croakers probably the same because because there's so much involved in replacing them that I think those materials will probably hold up longer than than your actual Orlocks will. Yes. So checking the Orlocks for wear on the sills. Your Orlock has a ninety degree angle, which is where your blade sits. And so there's the vertical, which is next to the pin and then the horizontal. And it, it's made with a little ridge. And again, it's deliberately done like that. Firstly, so that you can measure exactly where the middle of the orlock is when you're doing your spreads and your span measurement, but also to look for wear. And it, it just makes a little smooth hollow and replace them. It's it's worth it. Um, if you have the opportunity to also check the pitch on your oars, uh, that's worth doing. But if you don't know how, don't worry, but just ask the oil manufacturer to check it. Now, if you do decide to replace your collar slash button, you can switch them. So many of the designs nowadays have two re circular rings and joined together. And you can actually rotate them so that the other side is facing the wear on the oar lock, but you have to put it onto the opposing oar. It, you can't switch it around because it won't fit into the um, the sleeve. So switch them over, bow to stroke, stroke to bow, sorry, port to starboard, um, and you can get a little bit more wear out of them that way. And then he talks about tension inside the uh, squaring and feathering, which I think is assigned to the oar lock. So you can widen your orlock. You know the swing arm, the metal bit that goes across the top and obviously you close with your nut. Um, it has a lock nut, which slots into the orlock. If you use a, you'll need an adjustable spanner wrench, turn it like just one half turn and you can push it closer to the end of the metal and that'll just slightly spread the gap. So it enables your oar to turn freely. So that's the other thing. But then the core of the question, how can I make it easier to feather with just my fingers? Well, there's a couple, there's a couple answers here. There's not just one. <laughs> um, we know that this particular um, listener is a scholar. So I'll, I'll talk about sculling um, in, this, in this particular instance. But the, um, sorry for that phone ringing there. Um, one thing with your release timing is, first of all, if you release on time, your wrist will still be flat. So making sure that you release at the correct moment before you start to feather and feathering in the water. If you're feathering in the water as you, at the same time that you're trying to release, your wrists are going to drop down. So there's a timing issue here that if you, if you tap out when you still have a little bit of pressure on the blade, your wrist is going to be flat because if you've got pressure on the blade and pressure against your fingers, your wrist will not be bent. And if you can tap down from over the top of the oar handle, you are able to much better use your fingers because you need, need weight over the top of the oar handle. If you're feathering into the body on the drive, and I know that we've talked about this in the past, your wrists are going to bend 
And once your wrists bend, you're, you're pretty much stuck having to feather with your wrist. So it's really important that you release on time. And it's really important that you don't allow your weight to drop under the handle and that you stay over the handle. Yeah, I'd say those are awesome things. And so things you can practice to check whether you're doing that right. One is to do a delayed feather. Row 10 strokes, taking the oars out square and then feathering once the oars are very much in the air and nowhere near the water. Um, and you can, of course, adjust that. So you can do a, a, you know, a really delayed feather or you can do a just slightly delayed feather. You can try and cut that delay time by half, for example. So do a, do it with a, a clear delay and then do another 10 strokes with like a half of that amount of time. And take a look out of the corner of your eye at your um, blades as they come out of the water and check whether they are turning as you extract them. Now, if you do feather to extract them, which is, I think, what Marlene described earlier, you've got a bigger problem because it's really, really difficult to unlearn that, particularly if you're the sort of person who carries your oars very close to the surface of the water on the recovery. So your confidence drill that you need to um, master is how to have weight in your hand so that when the oars are out of the water on the recovery, you actually are controlling them with a downward pressure from your palm not letting them rest on the surface of the water and that be the determinant of the height of your handle. And then I have one third thing to suggest. When you have feathered, look at which bit of your hand is actually touching the rubber grip. So your, your hand's in a, in a fist shape, if I to turn it sideways, try the other one. If you are feathering into your fingers, what you should find is that your palm, particularly the bit near your thumb, is not touching the rubber grip. So that's a little visual reference that you can use to check because if you've got your wrist cocked like that, chances are the grip of the handle is also touching your palm, your lower palm. So how's that? That's good. I mean, one another another exercise is rowing with rowing circles with one oar to un, because feathering feathering in the water and feathering on the drive is I agree with Rebecca it's a hard it's a pattern that takes a lot of focus to change but it's really going to be worth it if you can do that because um, you want to decrease the, the wash but but one exercise that's good rowing circles with one blade rowing circles because you, a, you can watch your blade, like Rebecca said, you can watch your blade that you're, you're lifting it out of the water and the top edge is moving to the bow. Um, and, and if you're rowing with one hand, you, you, you probably won't lay back as far. So you're going to learn to tap out a little bit more in front of you, which is probably what you need to do. Um, so that's a good exercise that you can watch what, you know, look at the blade and, um, feather in the air don't when the blades in the water it's, it's I, I i gave a woman a, a her first lesson on saturday and she said oh so the blade is just always stable in the vertical position in the water it only changes position in the air i'm like right on absolutely air yeah. and water don't mix no 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 feather you know 
change the blade in the air. So anyway, it for to our listener, it takes a little bit of work and you must do drills to change this pattern and just slow down, just slow down. And, um, and uh, you know, there are, you know, practice, practice exercising these muscles of your fingers on, on land because your fingers are also not quite prepared. Your extensors aren't that strong. But as Rebecca said, the key is weight over the handles, weight in the hands. If you're not over the top of your handles, it's virtually impossible to feather with your fingers. You're, you're stuck with the Harley Davidson method. Yeah, vroom, vroom, sounds right, good. Right. Not so much in sculling. Right. Now let's do sweep. So sweep feathering is different. You have a turning hand and a non-turning hand. And the challenge here is that the principle is exactly the same as Marlene described. You need to have weight in your hand. And that weight is always in your outside hand, which is your right hand if you're on bow side, your left hand if you're on stroke side. So it's the hand that's nearest the end of the oar. That is what controls the height of the oar. The other hand is the one that does the turning, the squaring and feathering. And in sweep, it is absolutely acceptable to do a wrist feather and to carry the wrist cocked on the recovery. You don't feather into your fingers in sweep, partly because the diameter of the handle is, is a little larger, but also because that inside hand, although it is holding the oar sufficient to turn it, it's not controlling the oar. So the weight is not in that hand. So you're actually not putting that much pressure on your wrist. One of the challenges that people who wrist feather have is they get sore wrists. They get RSI and potentially carpal tunnel and things like that. But in sweep, you should be absolutely fine. But here's the but. Many, many people control the oar with their inside hand, not their outside hand. And because you're obviously some distance from the end of the oar, you have far less fine motor control with regards to placing at the catch if you're using your inside hand, if that's the one that's like really dominant and that won't help your technique at the placement end. So what are the drills, Marlene, you recommend for practicing sweep feathering? Well, one just awareness drill is um, Steve Gladstone, very famous um, university coach. And, and uh, one of the things I liked in, in a talk I heard him say is that when he said, I always teach my guys with the inside hand when they're feathering just to keep just to keep their thumb barely touching the handle so that the thumb doesn't over help over control the handle, but helps keep that inside hand really light. So that was just an image that I really, really liked. And he's a very um, strong follower of Steve Fairburn's work. So that was one of the tips he said is just keeping that that inside thumb really soft on the handle. Um, but I always liked alternating hands, you know, outside outside arm on the drive, inside hand on the recovery, outside drive on the on the. Did I say so that again? Switching hands so that your 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 feathering hand is on the recovery, your outside hand is on the drive. Um, and that's because it is important to isolate, isolate those functions. And lots of people feather with both hands and they mishmash it. And, you know, there there's a, a reason for 
keeping things separate, you know, and, and uh, let one hand specialize, but if you switch both sides so you can do both, but those are, that, those are one, that's a good drill for feathering. Um, open, you know, again, open fingers, open fingers. Once you feather, put both, both hands, open fingers. You can do that in sculling or you can do that in sweep and just put both hands flat and just, just control the oar handle with just weight over the hands. Um, that usually gives people quite a bit of confidence actually, because they realize um, that you can let the oar lock hold the oar, that you don't have to hold the oar, the oar lock will hold the oar for you. So mm. I like those two, those two exercises. Yeah, I generally find that nobody has a problem with turning the oar with their inside hand. The problem they have is actually with their outside hand and controlling the height. And so my favorite exercise is actually to do wide grip where you mm -hmm. slide your inside hand down the loom, off the handle, onto the fat bit of the shaft. The reason for this is that you can't grip it tightly because the diameter is so large, but you can control it enough to square and feather, but it then forces your outside hand to actually tap down and to control the blade height. And if you want an even bigger, I suppose, emphasis on the same point, you can do this rowing in fours, do it square blades and have your inside hand hold the backstay. So your hand is like right out there on the rigger mm -hmm. and you hold it about halfway up the backstay and you don't need to move it. You can just row around your rigger and the outside hand starts to get the pattern of how far it needs to tap down and how far it needs to lift up to place into the water. That's a good stretch too. It's very good for rotating. It is. Yes, so yes. You get a sense of your body following the oar out. Because once your inside hand is, is you know, on the rigger, you can actually rotate much more than you can in the normal rowing stroke. But it's, a, it's an emphasis drill, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Cece has a question. She says, rowing in circles, is this the snake drill where you do one hand at, at a time making a big S as you go back and forth? So that's that's alternating. But I think Marlene was actually meaning go just in a complete circle with one oar going yeah. in one direction. Yeah, with one, one that, that's also a good exercise, but I think you could cheat, you know, if you're doing one hand and then switching the other versus if one oar is just feathered and you're just holding it by your side and you're really working in a bigger arc. But you could, that could be another alternative. I've just never heard it called that. No, but this one is actually going all the way around in a circle because um, you really have to force the athlete to look at their blade and pay attention to it. I mean, it's amazing to me how many people will look at their blade and just feather it under the water. And I would say, but your blade is coming out square. Can you please take it out vertical? And then it feathers again. And so, you know, they really, it's a really, really tough pattern to break. And what you can do is also have them cut it off a little bit early, release a little bit earlier than they're, they're used to. And that, they have more pressure on the blade that makes it a little bit easier to get that sense of how far they have to have to tap down. But, um, but yeah, you really have to slow people down to correct their feathering. Yeah. It, it can be very disheartening having to <laughs> unlearn and relearn, but I would say that it's well worth doing partly because when you get into boats with other people who you've not rowed with before, having control over your oars 
makes it much easier for you to adjust your stroke to blend with the person who's in front and behind you because different crews can be really, really different. And if you think, oh, these guys, like, you know, they're, they're feathering really high above the water or, you know, I need to get my blades parallel with theirs, you then have the skill and you know what to do to make that change and you know what it feels like. So making a change is not just about um, the muscle memory. It's also about activating the correct muscles in order to make that change. So in the faster five, this is all about the blade work and you will find the blade work episode. I keep calling it an episode, it's not an episode, it's an article, sorry, it's written. Um, you will find that really, really useful because the principle of what we're trying to achieve then is reflected in this you know, very small part of the stroke cycle. Um, so faster five blade work, is definitely a good place to be. And then the follow-on for that, particularly for sweep, is that in the developing stroke power, your inside hand, which is your feathering hand, has a significant part to play, but at one part of the sweep stroke. And that's explained in the stroke power part of the faster five. Back to another question from a live listener. Can you explain the purpose of rowing with a wide grip drill, meaning holding the oars by the handle instead of the grips? So in sculling, the purpose of the wide grip drill is to load you up. It basically makes the, um, the rig heavier. And by loading up the athlete, it slows down your movements because you can't push the oar through the water uh, so fast. And that helps you to be more mindful of how you are rowing. So that's in the sculling. And in the sculling, you basically take your handle and you slide the hand away from the end of the handle so that you can have it either fully on the shaft or you can have it kind of overlapping the end of the rubber grip. But in the sweep, because it's rotating around a rigger, the wide grip isolates the inside hand so that it has virtually no power to pull because it's very close to the fulcrum, which of course is your pin. And because it has no power to pull and you're holding this big fat part of the oar, you are forced to relax the tension in that uh, hand. You can't, you can try and control the, the blade height, but you'll find it fantastically difficult. I mean, just, just practice it, think about it. You know, here's, here's my pen and my fingers are the, are the fulcrum. If I'm holding my blade here and I'm trying to control the height up and down, a very small movement has a big amplitude at the end. Whereas if my hand is holding the end, I can make a small movement and it only has a very small amplitude. Exactly the same principle. Anything to add to that, Molly? I like the, in sculling, I like wide grip too, because if, if sometimes if, People are a little bit cautious and they don't really have the sense of opening, of, of separating their handles and opening up. Just like in sweep, you, you really get that sense of rotating around the pin. Here, you really want to open up against your riggers. And um, when you do wide grip rowing, it, you feel like, oh, you open that chest space. You feel bigger separation between your hands. So, you know, it, it helps you get that feeling of, of getting the handles out farther outside of the boat, too. Yeah, that's quite a nice one, isn't it? Because yeah, it um, feels good. Yeah, yeah, and you can use the same principle in actually. If you're on the erg, do your warm up on a high resistance, move mindfully, 
be conscious of what you're doing. You can't move too fast or you'll, you know, you'll rip the chain or shoot your slide or rip the oar in the water. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one, actually. I think we should. Perhaps we yeah. should. I love, here's what I like about rowing is you come back to these things. And go, oh, I haven't focused on that for a while. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe. I know. That's why, that's actually one drill I, I forget about. And then, and then when I do that, someone, you know, I'll say, oh, that feels really good. You know, I've got to get back to that. So. Which is an excellent place to end Faster Masters Rowing Radio for today. Um, this has been Faster Masters Rowing Radio, the show dedicated to masters athletes who want fun, fitness and confidence in their rowing. You can become a student of the sport by buying a Faster Masters Rowing Program subscription today. It's at fastermastersrowing.com forward slash join. If you're not yet ready to buy a program, join our newsletter. You'll get some hints and tips of things that we've been talking about, links to some of these podcasts and other resources that Marlene and I are working on. And I hope you'll feel that you're joining part of the online community of masters who are all out there trying to become more confident rowers. I'm Rebecca Caro, and this has been Faster Masters Rowing Radio. See you next, next week. week. Yeah, see you next.